longest and greatest writer of all texts in the New Testament, wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. Luke devotes one-fourth of his biography of Jesus to this week. Mark and Matthew, they devote one-third of their gospel. John devotes one-half of the story of Jesus to this week that begins with this parade. Do you know anybody that's ever thrown themselves their own birthday party? Judy and I have a family member who's done that. Can you imagine throwing your own parade, what people might think of you? Are you a little bit confused about Jesus the way I am? Jesus has spent three years trying in many ways to avoid attention. Remember where we meet him down there at the wedding in Cana of Galilee and the party runs dry of wine and like them, you know, we might all be throwing our arms up. What are we going to do now? But Jesus, Jesus gets drugged into that story by his mom. She doesn't tell him what to do. She just kind of pushes him in some ways, and we have his first sign. In this same gospel, Mark chapter 5, Jesus goes into the house of a family that has been distraught because their young daughter, about 10 or 12 years of age, has died, and the, the bottom room of the house is full of grieving mourners, and Jesus takes only three of his disciples and the parents of this little girl, goes up, raises her from the dead, and then tells all of them in the room, don't you say a word. He does exactly the same thing in Mark chapter 9. He takes Matthew, or not Matthew, but, but James, John, and Peter, takes him up to this mountain and is transfigured. He pulls back the curtain and his full glory comes through and, and they are absolutely blown away as any of us would be. And what does Jesus say when they're coming down from that mountain? Don't say a word. Now, I don't know about you. If I was one of the nine, I'd have two thoughts. One is, why didn't I get to go? And then when they come back, hey, what happened up there? And Peter, James, and John cannot say a word. How good are you at keeping a secret? But now Jesus is throwing his own parade, a two-mile stretch from Bethpage to Jerusalem. And when Jesus crosses over the precipice of the Mount of Olives and gets this beautiful, incredible view of the temple court and the city of Jerusalem, he breaks into tears, Luke tells us. Because not to a person, but on the whole, Israel is missing their opportunity. Their king is coming, and most of them are either distracted or rejecting him outright. The point seems to me to be clear. Distraction can be deadly, especially spiritually. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that we dare not drift and miss who Jesus is as king that we are to help each other in the community of faith, that there be no, the writer of Hebrews says, no disbelieving heart in us, that we help each other with that, pray for each other that way. You remember that parable of the soils that Jesus told about? 
about a man who went out and cast seed and some of it fell on the hard ground and the birds just took it away before anything could happen. You know what part of that parable really bothers me? It's the part of the seed that falls in the fence line and among the brambles. And Jesus says when he interprets that, he says, that's the people that they believe and they, and they start to grow, but then the worries of this world and the distractions of wealth and other things start to choke out what is most important. Distraction can be deadly. Today is a day to pay attention and to be reminded of who this king is, which is the second truth, which is you need to ponder the real meaning of not only this day, of this donkey parade, but of what we're about to celebrate in a moment around this supper. I mean, I wanted to give you this picture any of you own donkeys, by the way? I mean, I wanted to give this picture and just let it be seared into your mind, but my wife would kill me if that was the only donkey picture I gave you. So let's go with this one. This almost looks like Possum Kingdom Lake right here, doesn't it? But why do we make point of the donkey? Why don't we make more of the donkey? Think about it for a moment. Who chose the symbols here? The people grab the palm branches, and that's what we give to our children, and that's what we help them to focus on. But what is the symbol that Jesus chooses? He chooses the donkey. And what you have here is all kinds of stuff swirling around in the minds and hearts of the people as Jesus unleashes this parade of announcement. You notice that not all of the gospel writers recorded the details, but Jesus is very much in control. He tells two of his disciples, go to town, you'll find this donkey, and I want you to bring it here so that I can use it. It sounds very weird to us, but there was actually a principle called an anagaria, which is the idea that a person of, dig, of dignitary, a dignitary or a person of prominence could enlist the resources of people for their purposes pretty much whenever they wanted to because Jesus was a rabbi and by this time very popular. He kind of invoked this principle. Now, he may have planned this ahead of time or he simply knew it supernaturally that there would be an unridden cult we don't know exactly how all of that played out, but it wasn't completely out of the culture. And Jesus gets on this donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 that he would come as their king into the eastern gate of the temple across the Mount of Olives in fulfillment of that prophecy declaring his kingship. There's an intentional contrast in this story to the power and violence and brutality of Rome. The people of this day knew what a Roman victory parade looked like. That in order to qualify to get a parade in your honor as a Roman general, you had to be responsible, documented, that you either killed or captured at least 5,000 opposing soldiers. And if you could qualify, then you were you were given a ride in a golden chariot into town celebrating your military victory with some of the prisoners of war coming at the end of your parade, symbolizing your power. 
Others in the crowd, particularly the Jewish folks that are in the crowd, had in their history not so long before the story of the Maccabees who had successfully revolted against the Romans. And when Judas Maccabees came into Jerusalem in victory, that was when they cut palm branches from the trees and they hailed him as a great victor. But Jesus is signaling something to us. He's signaling not only that he is king, but that he is a certain kind of king. He is a king who comes in with love, with gentleness, with a willingness to sacrifice rather than to crush. And he comes in the midst of all of these confused and somewhat oppositional ideas. You hear the Pharisees, right? Jesus, Jesus, this is wrong. You have to stop this from happening, one of the biographers tells us. And Jesus says, you have to wonder if he's smirking. Look, if I tell them to stop, the rocks will cry out. You ever use that phrase, he's dumb as a rock? It may be tied right to this passage where Jesus is actually speaking sarcastically in some ways. Look, you could be dumber than these rocks if you're missing this moment because all of creation is announcing this celebration that the king is coming, that the king sees and knows and cares and, yes, is coming to judge as well. What are you going to do with the donkey parade? Are you going to pay attention? Are you going to respond in the right way? It's astounding to stand here on Palm Sunday and think about what's going to happen within the next seven days of Jesus' life. No one in this crowd, no matter what their understanding or perspective on this particular day was, no one in this crowd anticipated that he would be on a cross by Friday, much less that he would be walking out of a tomb on Sunday. I told you the last time I was here about the He Gets Us campaign. The whole point of that campaign is to get as many people as possible to reconsider who Jesus really is. Which leads me to the very last thing I want to share with you this morning. Palm Sunday prepares us for evaluation. Do you notice that little comment that Jesus, that is recorded about Jesus from Mark that Judy read a moment ago? The very last verse says that Jesus got off of this donkey and he went up the steps into this temple area that he had had the most majestic view of when he came over the Mount of Olives. You've heard Jim talk about this, five football fields in, in length and scope. Beyond imagination, the significance of what this place meant and what it looked like, Jesus comes up into this temple area, and it says in Mark's gospel, because it was late in the day, what did he do? He just looked around, and then he left and went back across the Mount of Olives to Bethany to spend the night. 
Three of the gospel writers tell us what comes next. Matthew records it as if it's the same day. Jesus comes back to this temple the next day and is outraged. He takes a whip and he drives the money changers and their animals from the temple courts because they are blocking access to the worship of the one true God. I can tell you on my own testimony that that event that happens the next day on Holy Monday, on that day that Jesus got mad and he drove and wholly angered those people out, that event catalyzed my conversion. Because until I read that story in the Gospels for the first time, I didn't know that Jesus was a real person with real emotions and with real passion. And it is vivid in my heart and mind today that when I read that story as a young man with a lot of anger, I said to myself, this guy is real. I can relate to him because he cares about things that matter. The question before us this morning is will we prepare our hearts in a similar way? The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The writer of Hebrews again says that we all have an appointment, an appointment with death, and then after that comes judgment. And the only way that we're really ready for that judgment is if we have made the right decision about this king and have allowed him, accepted him, invited him to be the king of our hearts. I remember, I don't remember what year, and I don't remember what age, but I do remember the experience. The very first time that my parents thought that I was old enough to watch The Wizard of Oz. Do you remember that in your own experience? Crowding around, building palace on the ground in the, in the den with my other younger brothers and sisters, my older brothers and sisters knowing what's coming, but they're still caught up in the magic. And here comes the tornado and then... And then Dorothy gets set on the yellow brick road and she starts to meet her friends. And this thing is just building and building and building and building. It's so exciting as they head toward Oz and they overcome all of these obstacles. But there they are inside of the castle and there is the great one. Until Toto ruins the whole thing. Just like Mike and Sheila's little dog that I met last night, this little bitty dog jumps out of the basket and runs over and grabs a hold of the curtain and pulls the curtain back to reveal that it's all just a show. Palm Sunday is the pulling back of the curtain to reveal the real kingship, not the false kingship, but the real kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so will you pay attention? 
Will you spend some time today and over these elements and every day of this week leading to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, pondering what this King is all about and receiving him in a way deeper and fresher and better than you ever have so that you'll be ready to meet him face to face. We invite our servers to come as we celebrate communion. And I have to tell you, this is the most ingenious way of serving communion that I've ever seen, all right? COVID brought us so many things, especially new revisions of, of how to do communion. So take the juice cup out, and let's just focus on the bread. Thursday night before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus gathered his disciples, his closest friends, including his betrayer, for a time of celebration that looked back to the greatest deliverance that Israel had known to that moment, the experience of deliverance from the Egyptian Pharaoh through the ten plagues, through the passing of the death angel, through the parting of the Red Sea, and even God accompanying them for 40 years in their disobedience until they came to the promised land. That's what Passover was all about that a lamb was being sacrificed for the sins of others. Jesus would totally remake and refocus that attention in what he was about to do. And like those disciples reflecting decades later on what that Palm Sunday really meant as they connected the dots between Old Testament promise and prophecy and Jesus' fulfillment in that week, so what they would connect the dots to this celebration when Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. 
Take and eat, all of you. Jesus would speak metaphorically, John tells us, on another occasion when he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part in me. Some of those who heard him say it took him literally, and they were outraged, rightly so, if you interpreted what he said literally. But Jesus was speaking metaphorically, unless you take him fully, completely, and totally into the being of who you are. You haven't really understood what this king is all about. One theologian writing about this day in Jesus' life said this, the common bond between the crowds, both crowds, those on Palm Sunday and those on Good Friday, is not the fickleness of the human heart, but the lack of genuine knowledge and worship of the humble Messiah and the suffering servant. We're not only confronted with his claim to be king, but with the nature of his kingship. That he came with all power, but also with all love to be a sacrifice for sinners like you and me. Take and drink, all of you. Jesus says we taste the sweet taste of this juice that reminds us of your sacrifice. Lord, as we feel the graininess of the bread without yeast reminding us of your broken body, we stop on this good, holy, Palm Sunday, Donkey Sunday parade to just thank you again, praise you again, to say Hosanna to you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, who came in grace and power, truth and love, who came to defeat all hate and violence and evil and even death, that we might spend all of eternity with you. God, if there is anyone here today who has questions, who has doubts, who wants to talk, who is still seeking you, or hopefully all of us in fresh ways seeking you, Lord, help us to step out to ask our questions. Help us to encourage and strengthen one another. And Lord, help us to meet you in some very fresh ways unique to each of us in this coming Holy Week. In your holy name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a great Easter week.